You're listening to The Elephant Test. We're dedicated to the B2B marketing community and here to explore the practices, thoughts, and ideas of effective B2B marketing executives. Thanks for joining us on The Elephant Test. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and joining us today to talk about top-of-funnel digital marketing is Jordan Mason. Uh, Jordan is a digital marketing manager for Marchex. That's a uh, B2B call analytics company, and he runs Marchex SEM and SEO campaigns and is also the company webmaster focused on hyper-specific customer journeys. Jordan, thrilled to have you on today. I'm looking forward to digging into uh, top-of-funnel digital marketing. Sky, my pleasure for being here. Thanks so much for having me on. So I guess uh, just to start out, top of funnel digital marketing, can you uh, kind of simplify that for some of the listeners? What are we talking about specifically when we talk about top of funnel? Sure. Yeah. I'm, uh, fundamentally, I am really just trying to um, make sure that we get our content, the right content to the right people at the right time. And so as a B2B, you know, we're, we're hunting these whales. Um, you know, no, I'm not a a fisherman by trade, but we're trying to get these large uh, clients, these large accounts um, into our marketing funnel. And a big part of that is just showing the right piece of content um, to those whales and uh, get them coming through that funnel. So a lot of content distribution for lead generation, kind of focusing on that top 20%. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We, you know, we rely heavily on you know internal data and business initiatives when we're trying to solve these high level problems um, for our target personas and industries. And, you know, we help, uh, you know, develop narratives to do that and distribute that content via a variety of channels. Excellent. So before we jump, really jump into the, uh, the top of funnel digital stuff, um, can you give me just kind of a brief overhead of what, uh, what Marchex does and what you do there at Marchex? Sure. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, we're a call analytics company uh, helping companies, drive more calls and understand what happened on those calls uh, to then convert more of those callers into customers. So very uh, prevalent amongst uh, companies that have a high call volume. Uh, and we help bridge the digital and physical interactions, enabling those companies to acquire the best customers. And I think one of our coolest products is our speech analytics, uh, which uses advanced speech recognition and natural language processing to help understand what's happening on phone calls. So um, kind of a, a day-to-day example I use with that is, um, you know, think about a place where, you know, you might get your tire changed, uh, specifically in that tire shop. How do you monitor what's going on there? Did a customer get through when they called or did they hang up? Um, that's a lot of the things that franchises and marketers need to think of because each missed call, each bad call, each successful call contributes to a gain or uh, of subtraction in in your marketing cost and in your overall revenue. Right. So a lot of it's kind of analyzing the call stuff to figure out where you're losing stuff that you don't need to. Exactly. Yeah. It's really about maximizing your your total call volume, and um, and then once you, you get a higher volume, being able to understand what's going on in the call to uh, just you know make yourself more profitable. Excellent. And then what's your day to day like over there? Yeah, so I'm in charge of our website, uh, as you mentioned, SEM, SEO. Um, and so I'm trying to maximize each step of this customer journey. I'm sure you've talked about customer journeys with other guests. So um, so how do I make uh, people aware of Marchex? We like to say that you know we want to make sure that you know, 7 billion people on earth know who Marchex is. And that's, well, that's a bit unrealistic considering we're a bit of a, a niche 
a B2B company, um, we want to just create that awareness so that, you know, when I'm telling my parents, hey, uh, I work for Marchex, you know, they know who Marchex is. We want to be not only a player in the industry, but we want our industry to be uh, recognizable. Um, and then once they're aware, we want to make sure that people um, engage with our content. So uh, what I do on the SEM scope is I create search campaigns and display campaigns, also video campaigns to make them aware of our content. And then I try to drive them to landing pages or different pages on our website to uh, fill out a form, give us their information. And then we begin that um, that trickle approach. We begin to uh, email them different uh, types of content as well to, to get them going down that funnel. So lots of top of funnel stuff, lots of uh, content related stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Excellent. So one of the things I, I like to always, I don't know, it always ends up getting interesting, but your journey to um, to MarchX and to business to business marketing in general, uh, like where can you can you give me a little background where you came from, how you ended up in the in the B two B space? Sure. Yeah, my journey is is a bit unusual. Um, I actually had a dream as a young boy uh, to become the next Bob Casas, and uh, I was uh, in the sports broadcasting field for many years um, at local NBC stations. And as I did that, I just love telling stories. Um, I love telling stories about young athletes or about the way that different sports were played or just the day-to-day, you know, how are the um, Denver Broncos or Colorado Rockies doing? Because I was working at a Colorado NBC station at the time. Um, and for a while, though, we couldn't measure what type of impact those stories had just being on the news, you know, news commercials. Uh, you can't measure the impact unless you have a, a Nielsen rating tracker, which, you, you know, kind of an average right. of what's going on. But as our online presence grew and social media grew, we started to be able to measure at a much more uh, precise level. Uh, I then started a YouTube channel. Um, YouTube unveiled some really cool new stats features back in the day where you could not only tell how long someone looked at your video, but, um, you know, where the click was coming from and that sort of thing. And that really piqued my interest. I uh, began developing some YouTube content on the side. And then um, the uh, the new station sent me to the Olympics in 2014 in Russia, where I uh, interviewed an NBC celebrity. Um, and I created this viral moment. And for me, um, that was a tipping point because I realized what sort of impact that one person could have on the internet if they knew how to market a piece of content right. correctly. And you said that was fun, right? That, that was exciting. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was really fun. Um, just getting to see, I mean, the stories are always fun to create, but it's not as much fun if nobody sees a story. Um, right. And so from there, I, I um, switched my career and, and here I am doing B2B digital marketing. Yeah. It's, I always love how you can measure stuff. And B2B, I mean, the, the feedback you can get, you can tell what's working, what's not working. I don't know how people did it back in the day when they when they didn't have that kind of information. Yeah, it's, it was more of a guessing game. The more uh, longtime marketing gurus I talked to, you know, talk about marketing as, as more of a, you know, they, they kind of jokingly say it's the arts and crafts department where, you know, you create yep. pieces of creatives and then hope that, uh, you know, a year later that it would lead to more revenue where now everything is trackable. Yeah. You get this immediate feedback. Yeah. I guess you had, you just had to do larger stuff and everything. The barrier to entry, I guess is a big part of it. 
now the barrier to entry to just knowing what's going on, the speed with which you get feedback from your campaigns, it's uh, it allows you to to lower that barrier to entry so much because you don't have to invest a ton before you find out, uh, you know, how you need to adjust things. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, as long as you can achieve um, statistical significance on different campaigns you're running, you can make adjustments really quickly, um, especially in a B2C company when you're getting more volume. Yeah, I guess so you go back enough years and you had to wait till the sales came in from the last year in order to analyze uh, whether your campaigns were working or not. Yeah, that's right. And, and now, um, you know, as long as you have your your marketing funnel set up properly, you can measure that on a on a weekly basis or even an hourly basis. Yep, yep. So, speaking of funnel, uh, top of funnel, digital marketing. Um, where do you want to start with this? Uh, you know, I, basically lead generation, right? We want to get into all the different techniques that you uh, that you use. You want to start with your favorite? What, what would you like to uh, jump in at? Yeah, I would say my favorite is um, SEM because um, it delivers uh, immediate results, immediate gratification, uh, where SEO, um, as I like to say, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So it takes a lot longer to determine uh, you know, which keywords you've optimized are leading to um, an influx of traffic. Um, so with search, I do a lot of Google AdWords, which is probably not a surprise to your listeners since it's the, you know, most used um, search uh, function on the web. Um, yeah. and, oh, sorry, can you elaborate a little bit on the difference between SEO and SEM for people? Sure, yeah. So search engine optimization is um, optimizing your website and each page on your website to ensure that it ranks as highly as possible um, on an organic search. And um, again, I, I don't know how detailed you want me to get, but um, you know, when you do a search on Google, um, at the top there, there will be usually three to four ads. You know, a lot of people don't even know their ads they're clicking on. And then underneath that, there'll be the organic search results. Right. And then actually underneath that, there's more ads. And then the same thing for page two and beyond. And so um, SEO achieves what marketers want to achieve, but it's, it's free. So any click on an organic post it uh, doesn't cost your company any money per se. I mean, it costs money to develop the content, but it doesn't cost money per click. And so uh, some of the best... Mar- right. So it's the low-level free version of what you can do to promote on search engines. Basically. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, some companies uh, spend millions, uh, tens of millions of dollars to develop great content that, that ranks organically. Um, but, yeah, once the momentum starts happening... Uh, that those clicks are free and it, it works out great for some companies. And I guess, I mean, if you want to jump in, let's say you're a startup and it takes time to build up a lot of content to basically get yourself ranked in your industry. You don't really have a brand. You probably also don't aren't going to show up in the searches very high. So the SEO part is is kind of a long game. But so are you saying the the SEM is, is more of uh, what I tell my guys here? I say, can we just own a couple words and be at the top? Like how much is it going to cost for this? Yeah, uh, for people who wanting instant results, uh, the paid advertising is definitely a great way to go. But if you're if you're smart and you can develop an SEO campaign where you've um, established a niche of keywords, um, then you can also gain some pretty quick traction. So um, you know if you're going into a really competitive uh, field, let's say your business is uh, competing in a space where there's a, some big players that already have an SEO presence it's probably going to be really tough to rank highly for certain keywords, but maybe there's a few niches you can carve out uh, where, you know, if you use uh, the Google 
keyword planner, you can find some longer tail keywords that that might get a few hundred clicks per month. And, and that's the key in, in marketing, as you know, is trying to find those cracks and crevices where there's opportunities to gain, uh, just gain uh, pre- a presence online. Right. So something small that you can dominate while you kind of build up in the, uh, the more common areas against the competition. Yeah. Yeah. So you might have a long tail keyword in a, in a more heavily um, competed uh, uh, section of keywords, or you might just have a, a completely unique um, brand or a completely unique um, area, uh, whether your company is B2B or B2C, where you know it's not too competitive with some of your keywords. And right. I think a lot of companies are finding the right balance with that. Yep. So that's that's the SEO side. Now the SEM, which it sounds like is your prefer a little more, uh, is the side that takes some budget and you can make things move a little faster. Yeah. I mean, you can have um, an SEM campaign up and running in a couple hours. I mean, it, it depends on how detailed you want to get and how effective you want it to get. But, um, you know, if you can pay for the click, uh, then you're going to rank. Uh, it's not even ranking. You're going to you're going to appear in whatever position you want to appear based on how high your bid is. Um, and so I like that because um, as a B2B, um, our space, you know, call analytics, call tracking, speech analytics, it's not, it's not a space that's been defined for a long period of time. And so the volume of organic searches um, is, is a little lower than some other um, areas. For example, you know, um, CRM software or uh, SEO software or something like that. And so yeah. we can um, maximize the searches that do happen. And then we can also, as a part of that, show uh, display ads to people who are surfing passively on the internet and not necessarily even looking for something in our category. Right, right. So so you guys can use the SEM to really just kind of make sure you're at the top there. And it's it's since it's not such a saturated industry, you, it, it's a lot easier to get up there. But so I suppose if, you know, people who are, who are looking at this, it's, it's basically in the Google analytics is primarily where they're going to be working this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, usually, um, so webmasters will have access to some sort of analytics platform. We love Google analytics, um, because, um, it really can do a lot of things if the user is a bit savvy within the platform. But on top of that, you would use Google AdWords, which you can integrate with Google Analytics. They're two separate or, platforms. And Yep, AdWords, AdWords, oh, yeah. you're right. So I expect Google to send us like a fruit basket or something like that. It's a free free plug for them. Yeah. There are other platforms, we just don't even know their names, or I don't, I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's AdWords, there's Bing, um, and then you can use bid management platforms like DoubleClick, which integrate on top of that, which make uh, things a little easier for uh, clients that, might have uh, or accounts that may have a bunch of different clients they're managing at one time. But I like just a simple AdWords because you can download the offline editor, make bulk edits really quickly. Um, it does take some time getting used to. Um, I was able to hone my chops at a marketing agency before this, working with a bunch of different clients. And so the more reps you get using the offline editor, the more comfortable you'll be using it. Excellent. So for somebody looking to that says, oh, okay, we, we got a company, we want to get some traffic in a particular area. What, um, what would you recommend for the the search engine marketing for these for the paid ads to get into these searches? Um, is there a particular technique to just saying I want to own this word and bidding on it, or, or how how would you recommend they, they approach that? Yeah, well, number one, I, I guess it depends on what you're looking to achieve. But as a as a lead gen B two B. 
I would first of all map out um, different um, different uh, value props and of your business or different products of your business, and from there uh, map out a list of keywords that corresponds with each, with each of those products or each of those services. Um, and then from there, begin to do more research using um, the AdWords uh, keyword planner, figuring out, okay, just, just because this word call analytics is what we call um, our product um, doesn't necessarily mean that's what people are searching for. And so, Right, right. So, what's kind of the layman's terms, or the what? What? How would your clients describe yeah, exactly. it? Exactly. You want to you want to talk like your customers talk. You, you don't want to talk like you want them to talk because you can't force them to do anything. Um, so you're probably going to go more in the as somebody who's not in call analytics. I would be thinking of looking for something like call tracking or outbound call stats or something like that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we, we determined that um, call tracking was actually a much more searched term than call analytics. And so we ended up changing um, a bunch of content on our website from call analytics to call tracking to maximize the organic search reach. Um, we also made different ad groups within our campaigns and AdWords um, around call tracking. Um, and then also call analytics. But if someone were to search call tracking, for example, they would then see an ad that said something related to call tracking. If they search call analytics, they'd see something related to call analytics. And then when they clicked on the ad, they would then see a landing page or a page on our website that said call analytics on it. So we, that's also really important is to keep the content and keep the keywords consistent across each touch point so that you don't confuse your user. Right. So... Jordan, I'm thinking, I'm listening to you here and I'm thinking it almost sounds like you want to grab somebody from HR or something like that and ask them, okay, here's what you're looking for. How, you know, you, you need to do this. What, are, what, what words are you going to use to search for it? Um, because you marketing people are going to have, you know, the slick names of the product down too much and you might end up, it seems like companies out there, they might end up having the best words for them might be wrong for their product actually. Yeah. Um, because pe people searching aren't, you know, aren't getting the definition technically right, or they aren't, they aren't going to have the, the speak down for, for your product or for their product just right. They're just going to have some, some general version of it. Yeah. And, and yeah, that, that's, that's really important to kind of get away from that marketing sales ease speak and to just talk like your customers talk and, you know, Google makes it really easy for us now when you search something on Google, just anybody out there, um, you'll also see the thing that says, you know, hey, people who search that also search for this. They'll offer suggestions. Um, and so I, I think that in 2018, it really is the, the best time for us to maximize our understanding of what our customers are searching for and just speak their language. Yeah, excellent, excellent. All right, so um, that's the... Uh the SEM, right? The search engine marketing, the paid uh, positions on search engines. And I think going back to the beginning of the conversation where I was saying kind of what's your favorite. So out of all the, um, all the top of funnel things, would you, would you say search engine marketing is kind of the, the first number one place to, uh, to look? I like it the most because that's where I've gotten most of my reps um, and it delivers. Uh, I, I love stats. And so it delivers a nice little package of stats where you've got your click-through rate, you've got your conversion rate, and you can continue to maximize all those things. Um, 
And for us, our display ad campaigns within, you can run those within the uh, Google AdWords uh, interface. We, we run those on other platforms as well. Um, those have been really effective because um, they actually have allowed our cost per lead to, to drop significantly. Um, and we just found a lot better value in that. So I suppose it's, it's going to vary from one industry to the next, but what kind of cost per lead? And I guess, is a lead somebody coming through to the site or is that, um, you know, do you need to convert them on the site somehow? What, what kind of cost per lead generally are people looking for with search engine marketing? Uh, well, it totally varies. Um, for B2B, probably more expensive. But um, again, I think each company would define a lead differently. And maybe each department within a company would define a lead differently. You know, your your demand gen department might define a lead that's only um, like an SAL, a sales accepted lead, for example. Whereas me, at top of the marketing, uh, top, top of the funnel marketer would define a lead as someone who's gone to our website and filled out a form. Right, right. Um, other people might define a lead as someone who's maybe just visited the website because they don't want to, you know, ask, ask the date to marry them on the first date. They want to yeah. continue to get that user to interact with the content. I use that analogy all the time. I tell our guys yeah. when, when you, when at a singles bar, when walking up to the bar, you don't ask the person to marry you, you ask to buy them a drink. Like you can't just come in that strong. And so I guess the farther away you get from the salesperson, the softer a lead gets. The salespeople want to, you know, if they're not sales ready, they want to throw it back. But then when you get to the very top of the funnel, it's just they looked our direction. Now that's a lead. Yeah, it, I love I love that analogy too, because um, just thinking about, it's, it's such a fine line. You know, you, you want to get that information. You you have a crush on the girl or the guy and, and you want to, you know, you want to propose to them and lock up the deal. But, you know, if you're too aggressive, you're going to have, you're going to have that creep alert go off. And it's the same exact thing in marketing. Yep. I'm just thinking about my own interactions online and I'm not going to fill out a form unless I absolutely want that piece of content. And I'm sure that I can't get it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. We always tell our guys, everybody you talk to has stranger danger. If, if it's not pre-warmed <laughs> yeah. up, they're all, they're all on guard saying, who's this random person approaching me? Like it, it takes a lot of little steps to build a relationship. Again, that's what I love about B2B marketing though. It's not, you know, it's not a one night stand. Basically you're looking for, um, a long-term relationship with these people. Yeah, and for for us and for other companies, your know, sales cycles several months long. It you know we got to wine and dine these uh, these leads to to make sure that we can you know pop the question. Yeah. All right. Um, I want to take a break here in just a second, uh, but just to kind of tease uh, for after the break when you're talking about wining and dining, and I think a lot of what you're talking about um, comes back to content. But um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about content and then some of the other um, top of funnel uh, digital marketing techniques when we get back. If you're thinking about measuring employee engagement in your organization, DecisionWise released its annual State of Employee Engagement Report, featuring 33 insights and five key findings to increase engagement. Check them out at decision-wise.com. All right. This is uh, Sky Cassidy. We're back from break. I've got uh, Jordan Mason of Marchex here with me. Jordan, before the break, um, I brought up content and kind of how it affects the uh, or how it plays in with the uh, top of funnel digital marketing stuff. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Content, obviously, you know, you've heard the proverbial phrase, content is king. Everybody's talking content, content, content. Um, we have a content manager who does a really good job of generating our content. Um, for me, the challenge is, so we have, we're trying to accomplish a lot of different things with our content. We're, we're trying to 
speak to specific industries. And so we will develop content for those industries and then serve it to um, our target accounts in those industries at the right time. We'll also have content that we want to rank organically. It's more SEO focused. Um, right. And then we'll have content um, that might be more of the thought leadership uh, strategy. And, and so some of those things converge, but I'm trying to get people, as many people as possible to see every single piece of content that we have, um, as long as it's a, t a relevant persona or industry. And so it's a big challenge because um, like I said earlier, you know, you can have the best piece of content in the world, but if no one sees it, if five people see it, unless those five people are your whales, who cares? Right. So how do you divide up? Uh, I mean, content seems like there's, is it, I guess I'm saying, is it the cheese in the mousetrap or is it the buying the drink at the singles bar? Um, I mean, some content is information on your product that people need to know to make a decision, but then other content is, is really bait to get them in, to get that, to get them to put their foot in the door for you. Yeah. I think, I think the bait, um, again, let's, let's push aside the industry specific stuff. Cause I think that's a little different with what we're trying to do there, but, uh, maybe like a blog post. So for me as a digital marketer, I remember the first time I read Moz's beginner's guide to SEO. I remember the first time I read Neil Patel's, uh, I think it's the definitive guide to growth hacking. Um, and those were incredibly important educational pieces for me that established those brands as legitimate brands. Um, right. And that was many, many years ago. Um, I would love for us to be able to develop a piece of content like that that establishes us as an industry leader. And I think we've done that in a lot of cases. So you have to have useful kind of educational content, right? Not just uh, like giving out the stats on how to use your product or something like that, but um, informational content. And then so I wouldn't call that uh, cheese in the mousetrap, really. I guess what I was talking about there was more of a clickbait. Is there a, a division between those two as far as, I mean, do you want to be heavy on one light on the other? How yeah, that's a, that's a question that many marketers are asking because um, holistically, you know, you want to give uh, your users what they want to see, but you want their information. And so I've seen some marketers um, have like a guide to something where you can read the first piece of it and then to read the rest, you might have to fill out a form. Um, we certainly want to serve people as well as we can, but also it's tough to justify the return on investment for a piece that might not yield results till three years down the line. And so that that's kind of the magic uh, bullet that we're trying to understand is, you know, at what point do we, you know, kind of make the mouse trap, like trap the mouse. Um, yeah. Cause um, that, that is um, something we're trying to do without, like you said, without having that stranger danger alert come up. Yep. Yep. How many dinners and drinks do we have to buy before we pop the question here? <laughs> I think with B2B, it might be more because um, the sales cycle is so long. Um, and where the B2C, you know, you might be able to, to get that information right away. Oh, yeah. I would say we're a uh, legitimate relationship and uh, B2C is just more like Tinder. Yeah, Bumble. That's one of them, too. I, gosh, these, just, these... B2C is just saying, hey, this is a, this is a drive-by uh, event here. We need to close you this deal right now. If I could just have our users swipe left to do a six-figure deal, I would do that. Right. <laughs> That's the downside of B2C. They got to do, uh, you know, they have to do uh, a whole bunch of one-figure deals in order to get where, yeah. where B2B goes. Excellent. So content there. So you want, 
I mean, you want some of those long-term things, right? You want the the big investment that's maybe not going to pay off, but the information piece that kind of builds brand for you. Um, but then you do need some, you know, for lack of a better word, some clickbait type type things to put out there to drive that immediate immediate traffic. Yeah, and I think the clickbait e things. I, I certainly wouldn't uh, want to say that we have any clickbait things, but the things that require immediate action uh, from a user, we would put those um, up on display on social uh, with specific targets in mind. And and so you know, if we're only targeting a certain segment of our um, our audience, we might determine that that audience is more likely to click in something right away because it answers a specific question or serves an immediate need for that uh, potential customer. Yeah. Whereas the um, the more holistic thing might be better for SEO. I mean, I guess um, I'm still struggling because I'm not an expert in this field to kind of kind of describe what the different type of content I'm thinking about is. But um, you know, one seems like it's kind of an FAQ, kind of a when somebody's in the buying process, they need to look at this. But you don't only want to reach out to those people, and that's where I guess the the general content, the uh, interest type pieces, um, it gets people's attention that you know are the target, so you can get them into the funnel, but. Um, you know, they're not looking for the specs on your product or whatever it is. They're just, you know, generally identifying that they're, they're, they're a target for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and we've developed some really great pieces of content that we, we determined that people would really want to download. Uh, we, we commissioned um, Forrester Research to do a study. Uh, and they determined that um, statistically the best colors, the best customers are the ones who called you. Um, we also found through our own research that um, call reps. Wait, let me write. Let me write that down. People that call asking about a product, best customers. Yeah, okay. yeah, definitely. <laughs> Come on, Forrester. How much research did you have to do? For yeah, that probably, one? Uh, probably not as much as they uh, build us for. That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we we did, we'll edit that out. Yeah, first. we developed another piece of content uh, called Politeness Pays, which um, explained based on our own research um, that. Uh, um, clients or, or uh, call representatives who are more polite on the phone um, would close a deal faster. And, you know, that seems like common sense, but it's much more impactful to have the the actual numbers to back that up. And so those two pieces of content were pieces of content where we did ask people to marry us on the first date. Um, and we were successful in it because the the content itself and the tease behind the ad was compelling enough uh, that people were enticed to download. And, and that's kind of to loop back to the very beginning. Teasing is a news term that, you know, if you watch the news, you might uh, say, see it at the end of segment A, like after the 10 minute, um, 10 minute start of the newscast, you might say, you might see something that says like, oh, check the water skiing squirrel. This, this squirrel's amazing. You got to see it. And takes 20 minutes to happen and but you still stay tuned yeah. to the tv because you the tease was good enough and and that's the challenge of advertisers is we got to make the tease good enough to make people want to download that content yeah nowadays on the news basically everything you see is you won't believe what we're going to show you after this the biggest story of the year yeah. is coming up after this and then after that biggest story it's like there's a next biggest story after this it's all clickbait <laughs> on the news it's we're really just doing the same thing that we've always done except it's just on a different platform Right. So you have to have a lot of content, a lot of different content for all these different things. Um, and I, I would suppose the more content you have, kind of the more you can let people 
uh, kind of trickle along through your process. And then it seems like if you have very little content, you kind of need to get them to interact right away with you. Um, you know, maybe a company starting up will have just a little bit of information and direct people directly to a web form or a direct response, something like that. And then you guys have a lot of tailored content for very specific, sounds like long, long string keywords and stuff like that. Then you can, uh, you can kind of feed people content over time a little more. Is that, am I, am I in the right ballpark here? Yeah, I think so. Um, the more resources you have, the more hyper specific you can get with your content. But if you're just starting out, um, it might be the simplest approach to just have one call to action, you know, your, your homepage, uh, maybe you want to get everyone to subscribe or to get into some sort of free trial or to download this one piece of great content. You know, people like to say unicorn content. If maybe you've invested all your resources into uni- this one piece of unicorn content that might be a blog, it might be a white paper, case study, whatever it is, that it, if you think it's good enough, it, it might be. I mean, there's probably companies out there that, that only have a couple pieces of content, but they've been such great unicorns that it might be more effective doing it that way than spreading yourself thin and developing a hundred pieces of content. Right. So I guess as long as you're generating leads that your sales guys want to sink their teeth into, then that's where the feedback comes in. If you're getting that feedback of these are good leads, we're getting sales, then uh, just keep doing what you're doing. I think so. I mean, that's our goal. I mean, you know, um, I, I want to say that we want to educate people, which is what we want to do. But as a numbers guy and a top of the funnel digital marketer, I just want to get as many people as possible to view our pieces of content and really to just to fill out the form so that we can get them through the rest of the funnel. Yep. Okay. So that's kind of the, uh, I guess all these different uh, top of um, top of the funnel digital marketing things that we're, we're talking about so far, we've, we've mentioned SEO, SEM, um, you mentioned display ads there. They're, they all kind of have a this content necessary underneath. Something has you have to have some words that you're that you're feeding to people, some information, hopefully something of value. Um, but as far as other uh, digital marketing strategies, top of funnel, um, I think uh, we haven't mentioned email, um, social yet. Is there anything else we should throw in there? Do you want to speak to email and social real quick? Yeah, sure. We have uh, different people um, within our marketing team that do both of those things. But with email, we're doing a lot of nurturing. Um, you know, people who have filled out a form, we, we want to then serve them a piece of content um, at the next stage of their customer journey. Um, and our team's doing a really good job of doing that and especially uh, identifying, you know, what industry um, that person would be in or also, uh, you know, what persona that person is and then serving the correct email at the right time to those people. Um, and then with social, I love social because you can target so well on social. You can target in a way that you really can't uh, anywhere else um, because I've, I've heard recently, yeah, yeah, it's been the news. Very topical. <laughs> that, that's a challenge. The, the creep factor, like we talked about is, yeah. Hey, all the data is there. We, we have that data. So we're going to market to the people um, that are in those um, classifications, but you know, it'll be interesting to see where we go with, with kind of the uproar that's happened um, after the Facebook news. Yeah. I feel like, I want to address that really quick because it's odd to me. I listen to this news and they're kind of demonizing just information used for marketing. Now it's, it's used in an election. So it's kind of a different thing, but I, I look at it and I, I get a little worried and I say, Oh, they're going to throw all information for marketing under the bus here. Like everybody's getting lumped in with Facebook or, or all of Facebook's activities or activities people do on Facebook are getting lumped in with, with this specific incidence. And it's, you know, there's two things I see. One, 
when people put their information online, they can't be outraged when they put it into a system publicly that this information was used. Now, maybe some of this wasn't supposed to be public. Some is. There's some weird stuff coming out about Facebook using, you know, tracking the call history and texts and stuff like that in people's phones. And I've always been a little creeped out about when you install something and it says, hey, we need access to your system in order to do this. I never really trust that companies, especially small companies, but even large companies are going to, you know, aren't going to be just messing around with everything. When it's an information company, our company's an information company. I know like you give people access to all the information, they're going to take all the information because that's, you know, information is, is valuable. Um, but it's, it's an odd thing going on right now where it seems like they're demonizing this whole process of advertising is basically what all this was. It was just, you know, you have very specific information to target advertising. And, and I'm, I'm just worried that general advertising using specific information to better target your audience is uh yeah is getting I, I think i'm with you um i i didn't think like again politics aside i don't want to get into that but i mean this is what people do on the internet this is what these companies are set up to do is to take your information and market to you in a more efficient way and that, that's what we've been doing for many many years and you know again it's a little bit, a bit of a unique circumstance here but yeah, I'm worried too. I, I don't want to have more restrictions based on some reactions right now. Um, but I mean, that's a, a line we continue to toe as marketers is that creep factor versus making um, our our mechanisms more efficient. Um, yeah, definitely I have think- to be careful with it. I, I remember one of the uh, reading the book back in the day that spoke of targets issues when they first started really tracking information deeply. And it's just you know, it's a hilarious classic story with them sending the uh, the ads to this person's house for all this baby stuff, sending it to this guy's daughter and him freaking out and, uh, you know, being angry at Target. Why are you sending baby strollers and cribs and stuff to my – and then finding out, oh, she's pregnant. Like he found out through Target basically and oh Target decided, oh, we need to maybe pull back on how much we're tracking what people are buying and then how we're going to um, – you know, what we're going to – the print ads we're going to send them in the mail because – we're getting a little too uh, ahead of ourselves. Yeah, so yeah I mean, the, creep, the creep factor is bad. I mean, stranger danger is there, but when you walk up and already know everything about somebody when you want to buy them a drink, that can that can be extra creepy. Yeah, yeah, and and some of my friends, you know, don't like it. They're creeped out. Some like it. You know, they they want to see ads and and products that are relevant to them. Um, and and so I think the tough part is determining. Uh, which person falls into which camp, and then also making sure that people can read the terms and conditions on all these social networks they subscribe to. I mean, no one's really reading those, let's be honest, but maybe there's yeah. a way to make them more aware of what they're getting into. I think general terms and conditions is anything you put on there is going to be seen by anybody and everybody. That's it. Yeah. Like you're putting this out on the internet. It's it's like going out in public and then uh, you know being upset about what you're wearing. Like you're wearing it in public. This is what you're putting out there for everybody to see. You can't really get upset about it being seen at that point. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah. Basically, I think people got kind of lackadaisical with all their activities online. And some people were out there saying, "You know, this is all public. You know, this is all public." And and then eventually it comes around and people realize, oh, wow, this is really all public. And even the stuff they say isn't public. You just have to assume that anything and everything can be seen when you put it out there. And, and maybe this will help create new opportunities for savvy marketers who, you know, maybe as things shift, uh, people become maybe a little more paranoid. There's going to be cracks and crevices there that we can't even think of right now. 
Yeah. Oh, back in the day, Facebook well, was always pushing that they, they didn't have ads on their site and they never would. It's an ad delivery platform. That's what it is. Every bit of information, they, every field that they give you to put information in, they, they're going to access. Again, there's some weird stuff. I don't want to sound like I'm defending everything they do. I don't even know everything they've done that would happen and all that. But it's it seems like advertising in general, uh, you know, using information to better target people is uh, getting thrown under the bus a little bit. And you got you to gotta separate out the activities a bit there. Yeah, I and mean, it's important not to throw out the baby with the bathwater and um, – I like, I don't want to see ads for, uh, you know, women's rain jackets from J crew, just because my wife, uh, looked at that ad on our iPad. Um, I want to see right, right. ads for, you know, the Seahawks, uh, schedule and things that I like, but you know, with that comes <laughs> yeah. a little more creep. You don't want to see ads about, you know, the team that won the Super Bowl last. You want to see stuff about your team. <laughs> 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 like, please know what my favorite yeah. team is and don't tell me when the other team wins. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. So, um, I want to go off topic from the digital, uh, the, uh, digital marketing top of funnel stuff here uh, a little bit. Um, is there anything else you want to throw in on that before, uh, before I, I go on a tangent, uh, about, uh, what we were talking about or about just digital marketing in general, the digital marketing, the top of funnel stuff, lead generation, uh, you know, at the very top there. Yeah. I, I wanted to add retargeting is so big. Um, speaking of creep factor, because, um, you know, different studies out there you'll read, uh, you know, if people are familiar with your uh, brand, they're, you know, two to three times more likely to convert or do whatever you want them to do. Um, right. And I just think that's so important for marketers, B2B marketers, to make segments in their Google Analytics uh, of users who have taken actions that they wanted them to take. I've got a segment in our analytics uh, that says, that, hey, if a, if a user has seen two web pages, or two of our pages on our site, and taken one more action, then I'm going to create a segment of users that have done that. And then from there, I can only show search and display ads to those people. And so I can measure the effectiveness of that campaign completely independently from other campaigns. And we've seen a much lower cost per conversion on that. So if, if you're a marketer and you have time and the resources, I would suggest just making all sorts of re, uh, segments and then retargeting the users in that segment to uh, effectively do what you want them to do. Yeah, and I mean, back to the uh, the analogy stuff, retargeting, it's it's really just, you've seen us before, uh, take trying to take away the stranger part of it. Um, you know, trying to make yourself not a stranger by showing them your brand over and over again. And I guess you can build brand awareness that way with an individual rather than having to just have it general across the whole audience. You can just keep showing that one person your billboard until... And, you know, until you are a recognized brand just for them. Exactly. Yeah. And YouTube's really effective for that as well. Yep. Yeah. And then I guess I noticed retargeting in the consumer space. Every time I would go uh, purchase something online for a while, that would follow me around. And I thought, wow, this is a really silly way to do things. Uh, and then, I, but in the B2B space, it, it makes a lot more sense because the buying cycle is so much longer. Um, you know, when you're looking for socks and you go online, you typically buy socks right then. And then you keep seeing ads for socks. Maybe not the best example, but uh, <laughs> you keep seeing ads for socks and you're like, yeah, I went on and bought these. That's why I don't need to keep seeing it. But I, I think in the B2B space, yeah, if you're looking for a specific product, service, something like that, you typically look for a little while. So that that retargeting can be super effective in kind of combating the larger brands, I guess you'd say, or making sure your brand is top of top of mind. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and marketers definitely want to play around with their frequency capping to make sure like, you know, uh, if people are not seeing your ads, you know, especially for socks, for the, if you're B to C, you know, they should determine how often people need to buy socks. And once they've bought <laughs> socks, they're not going to see an ad for another six months. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. You don't, you want to retarget, I guess you just don't want to stalk. No, I mean, I think stalking in general is, is a bad thing unless you're uh, John Cusack in the movie Say Anything. Yeah. It's, it's got a <laughs> – yes, stalk, stalking has a bad reputation yeah. for a reason. <laughs> I, and speaking of bad reputations, I guess, I'll, I'll try to segue here. Um, when it comes to B2B marketing, is there anything – I guess I'd say what is it within B2B marketing that you dislike the most? Is there something that, that really bothers you, um, something you see in B2B marketing – either that people do or, or whatever it is, kind of what, what bothers you within B2B marketing? Gosh, that's a tough question. Um, I, I love the challenge of trying to catch the whales. Um, but for me, it's tough to achieve um, statistical significance on some of our campaigns and, and different things we're running because we're getting fewer users than B2C. And those users, uh, you know, each each stage of the customer journey, you're you're getting fewer and fewer and fewer. And so, I think that sometimes it's tough to achieve significance to say, "Hey, this thing or this campaign was more effective than this other one," um, without you know having that gigantic uh, pool of data to really make. Um, definitive decisions. And so I don't know if that's so much something that bothers me, but that's one of the challenges that I face. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like unless you're a massive company, um, you still have to go with your gut on some of these, on the bigger customers because you just, there's just not enough data to, to use the data. Yeah. And, and sometimes companies need to get creative. I mean, if you, if you have a goal, Hey, you want them to fill out a form or, or you want uh, users from a particular industry to do something on your website and you, you can't get there, well, then you need to kind of uh, pivot and, and change your goals. And then if you still can't achieve significance, maybe pivot and change your goals some more and then keep expanding kind of the, the parameters of what you have in a campaign so that you, you have some data to tell you something. Yeah. So I guess I think we started out talking about data a lot, about how great it is we can measure everything. Um, and now we're getting to, well, when you're dealing with a really big clients, you you still got to go with your gut quite a bit. Um, kind of a good thing because that uh, just go, falls back on expertise. Yeah, I think that if if a, if you're a CMO or a VP of marketing, you might you might have a little more leeway to go with your gut. But um, for you know digital marketers and people involved in the stats, I think that hopefully you know you only get a couple of gut uh, passes you know per year. Um, cause they still want to see <laughs> yeah. legitimacy, uh, legitimate data for every decision we make. Yep, absolutely. And then, uh, one more thing here, uh, when it comes to a tech stack, what type of, uh, we mentioned, uh, Google, um, AdWords before, uh, any particular text that you, uh, you like over there? I'm sure, uh, one, uh, top of the line would be this company called Marchex you might've heard of. They've got, the phone tracking uh, stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's, that should be our new I'm using the, the layman's terms for that's it. Marchex <laughs> dot, dot, dot. We have phone tracking dot, dot, dot stuff. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, we'll need to test it versus what we already have. And if it works better, we'll use it. 
Um, yeah, dots and dots. I don't think people do dot 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 a lot in yeah. searches, but man, if you get if you get that search, you've got yeah, them we, for we'll sure. Number one on that. Um, yeah, uh, we we actually MarchX. We use our own product, although it, our volume of calls is not as high as say an auto uh, dealership because you know our sales cycle is so long, and, and most people searching for these type of products or doing searches online instead of calling. Um, but I love our product. I think it's a great product. Uh, other. Other things I like, um, you know, mention Google Analytics, Google AdWords. Um, uh, we use some other things, SEM Rush, Moz. Uh, Crazy Egg is really cool. It allows us to precisely see where people are clicking on each page to, you know, optimize uh, each page to make sure that we're, we have calls to action where people's mouses are, where their cursors are. Um, oh, so it's not just tracking the page like visits like an analytics would, but it's tracking the, the mouse movement. That's correct. Yeah. So, um, you know, you might, wow. in one case, we might have a, a call to action that's in the upper right, but we noticed that a lot of our mouse activity is, you know, center left. And so it, it, in that case, we want to make whatever content we have center left clickable because, you know, people are, we want to go where the people are. Um, and then that's fascinating. You want to put your call to action close to where their mouse might already be as well, I guess. Yeah. I think, I think there's, uh, Generally, yeah. Um, you can also see sometimes people are actually clicking something. Right. And if there's no clickable link there, then, hey, maybe they're bouncing. And yeah. if they're bouncing, that's not an achievable, that's not, not a desired outcome. Mm. So you're not, it's not just people being lazy and saying, oh, man, I, I might want to see this content, but I don't want to drag my mouse all the way across the page. <laughs> it's it's also just kind of seeing where things are working, aren't working, that kind of stuff. Yeah, each, That sounds like, what was that called? The uh, Crazy Egg. They, they've got some competitors, too. That just happens to be the one we use. They, I think they do a good job. Um, but I hope these companies are going to be sending me like uh, baskets of meats and cheeses and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We want yeah. food, people. But uh, the, uh, yeah, it, each user is so different. I, I don't know if people are lazy. Um, they might just not see these things, you know. Our, our eyes right, work right. in different ways. And, um, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you. I didn't mean to slight oh, the general internet browsing uh, public out there. Um, just the ones who won't actually drag across a page to click something because it's too. Yeah. And then you always have the users who, you know, think they're on a, a touch screen and they just try to touch the laptop and they, that nothing happens. And uh, like my mom will start hitting it harder and harder. Like that's, that's going to work. I do the opposite. I point at people's touch screens and I, I poke the screen and things happen. I'm like, oh, oops. Sorry. I didn't realize. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's dating yourself, whether you point, touch the screen or not tells you uh, my kids all they do is touch any screen they walk up to they'll touch windows wondering why they don't respond that kind of stuff yeah i mean i used to be concerned that i was smudging my screen well now you know you may as well smudge it all up yeah <laughs> nice nice all right so um anything uh, before we wrap up anything in particular that you want to mention i know we're gonna put some content on the um on the show notes for this episode um that kind of stuff but uh as far as uh, for yourself any information that you want to put out there how can people how can people reach you connect with you, follow you, that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. I am, uh, I, I'm heavily involved on LinkedIn, uh, just, uh, Jordan Mason on there. Um, our, our MarchX account, uh, LinkedIn is a good one. We publish a bunch of content on there. Also Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is still Mason sports talk, uh, from my sports days, but I, I talk about marketing things mostly now and our MarchX uh, Twitter handle is, is also, um, a very, uh, applicable to what we do. Um, 
And yeah, I just, uh, I have a YouTube channel as well as does MarchX. Um, so my, my videos can be found on Jordan Mason videos and MarchX is uh, MarchX videos. Um, and yeah, we just come to our website, engage with our content. Um, we feel like we, we have a lot of great, uh, content there that speaks to a lot of different types of people. And, um, you know, we, we'd love to talk to you and, and I would too. Excellent. I guess I'd say, uh, when it comes to your guys' company, anybody who has a high, uh, high call volume that's inbound or outbound, right? Yeah, I would say, um, a, a lot of inbound, uh, but outbound as well. Um, you know, um, I could speak to, to one example, you know, we had an auto client that was, um, generating a record number of calls, their number one source of leads, but you know, those calls weren't converting. So, the solution here was, hey, let's understand exactly what's happening when the customer calls the store. And the impact was uh, we identified a ton of money, uh, a ton of money and lost opportunities due to these failed calls. And uh, because of our product, uh, the customer was able to recoup that lost money and then some. Um, these are these are blind spots a lot of clients don't even know they have. Yeah, there's always silly little things that are causing things to fall through the cracks. And it's just, it's just money falling through the cracks because of silly little things. So yeah, if you've got a high volume of, of calls, uh, especially inbound calls, and you're not uh, having a look at MarChex, you're not doing your job, people. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's, that, that'll be our test number three slogan right there. I tell people that all the time. This is your job. If you're not looking at these products, you're not doing your job. That's, I'm not going to sell you on talking to us. I'm going to sell you on doing your job. Got to do the work. Yep, yep. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on today, Jordan. This has uh, been uh, Jordan Mason of Marchex and uh, I'm Sky Cassidy with Mountaintop Data and uh, the podcast here, Elephant Test. Great talking to you, Jordan. I hope to have you on uh, again sometime soon. Thanks, Sky. My pleasure for being here and uh, great to meet you and talk to your audience. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks. A quick word from our sponsor. Effective marketing starts with good data. At Mountaintop Data, we are experts at developing and maintaining high-quality marketing lists. With tens of millions of highly accurate records and more data being added daily, we're sure to have the contacts you need. Learn more at mountaintopdata.com. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Elephant Test. Check out the show notes at elephanttest.com. Thank you so much for listening from all of us here at The Elephant Test. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.